FM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, a weekly conversation with MSU political scientist Matt Grossman on the 2020 presidential campaign. And then another legendary Michigan rock and roll song. But first, what's it like to be black and non-binary in a predominantly white and straight music scene? Arts editor Skylar Ashley spoke with Lansing artist and musician Bilal Beza about his experience. You're about to hear a conversation I had with Lansing musician and artist Bilal Beza, who performs solo as Brillo and as part of a group with multiple collaborators as Crawl Spaces. You can find both of those acts by searching for them on Facebook. Let's check out the conversation. My name is Bilal Vaessa. I go by Brillo. I'm 21 years old and I'm from Lansing, Michigan. How long have you been doing music and how would you describe your music? I have been playing instruments my whole life as long as I can remember, but I didn't have any desire to make music until about like three years ago now, I would say. Um, it was when I first started recording and actually sitting down and like fully writing songs and doing all that stuff. So I'd say three years realistically from making music. Mm-hmm. Um, what, were, uh, what were some major influences or inspirations in the beginning? You know, who were you listening to that um, kind of pushed you forward? It wasn't actually who I was listening to. I started making music for two main reasons. The first and the biggest being um, I had been looking for a genre and like a style of music that I wanted, like I could feel it in my head and I couldn't find it. And I, it had been like eight years at that point of me trying to find like the style of music I had been thinking of and couldn't exactly place. And I eventually gave up trying to find it and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. Um, uh, but what really pushed me to actually do it was hanging out with the twins all the time. And they play music and watching them make music and then going to their shows. And it looks so fun. The twins meeting Ezra, uh, Ezra and Marshall Kelly. Kelly yeah. um, the twins colloquially to me. And collectively um but yeah the the twins uh why don't you tell people a little bit about who the twins are mm-hmm. the twins are first and foremost my best friends have known them for five years now um in 20 it's been about six or seven since we met the first time okay. how'd you meet we met oh man i love this story <laughs> so we met at edrew which is a roller skating rink uh, in Holt, just outside of Lansing. And I used to go there as a kid because I was bored and me and my friend would roller skate. And we had met these two other people, uh, B and Elena, and we had become friends with them. And then like the third time we ran into them at Edrew, they, so unbeknownst to us, uh, Marshall and Elena were on a date and me and my best friend at the time, Red, saw them, Marshall and Ezra, and immediately swooned so hard. (laughs) tried to come up with a plan on how to hit on them, uh, got as far as walking up near them. Uh, I didn't even get within 10 feet of Ezra. I like straight up, like I tried and I gave up and I turned around. Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> so I was a lesbian what, at the time. <laughs> what, did, 
what was it about their music that was so inspiring to you? Um, you said you saw them perform, and that in turn mm-hmm. wanted you to start performing as yeah. well. Was it just the sound of their music, or was it, it the was... way that they're presenting themselves? Because if you don't know anything about um, Ezra and Marshall Kelly, um, trans twins, yeah, um, a big part of their music has a lot to do with you know their identity yeah you know performing under the name non-binary yeah um it's pretty that a big aspect of it um it was uh to a degree as much as like as like i enjoyed how much they like i saw how much they enjoyed expressing themselves and for them it was through their gender and identity and that that thus through music um around the time when i start was starting to make music and it seemed really fun uh, to be that open and like actually have like a beat and like have a good time and like performing live. Uh, first of all, watching them perform live is insane, and so that alone is just enough to make anyone want to perform, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were 18 when you saw them first. I think I was. I think the first show I ever went to of theirs, I was. 17 like freshly 17 it was when the fledge was still in grand ledge were you going to high school at the time or yeah uh well partially i was going to grand ledge high school and i say partially because i most certainly skipped the vast majority of my junior and senior year to hang out with ezra and marshall uh (laughs) and i graduated early in fact with a 3-8 baller um but yeah was only kind of partially ever present there i really 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 hated that school a whole lot uh but that's a whole other thing when you first saw ezra and marshall perform as Mm non-binary um you identify as non-binary yeah well correct i wasn't identifying as that at the time i wasn't i hadn't gotten that far in my self-exploration where it, were you in the self-exploration I, journey at that point? In I time? was in the realm of like I had like freshly learned about like different sexualities, didn't even get into gender at that point. And so I had very recently decided that I was pan. I don't remember if I was quite out at that time. I know I must not have been very out. Um and then once they started performing as non-binary and I ended up like by proxy hearing all their conversations about it because you know people come up to them after shows and be like, oh, like, you know, you're non-binary. Tell me about that. What does that mean? Right, exactly. And so, vicariously, like hearing all of that kind of like set me on a path to like kind of go teach myself more about it and do my own research. And then I ended up talking to the twins about it more. I feel like we've had a lot of conversations about identity, mm-hmm. like, because we talk a lot about like philosophy and stuff. So I feel like we would also go around like the realms that like it's not it was more than just like gender or it's more of like uh, like I feel like we've talked a lot about like no need for it right. like there's no need for it so like I don't know it's like I feel like a lot is it takes it takes time to like understand when you're growing up and you're confused about gender mm-hmm. or sexuality I think either one to like to like put it into words is really hard but I feel like it has like all your whole mind is kind of filled with different things and it's like that's a kind of minimal minimal part of it but like the whole like philosophy or how you view yourself and other people why don't we talk a little bit about what non-binary is for anybody that isn't aware or could be confused about it from your own perspective 
football, yeah. and feel free to add Ezra if you yeah. wish. So, what is non-binary? Non- what is non I'm sorry. Yeah, you're okay. What is what does non-binary mean to you? Non-binary uh, to me is being not completely devoted to just being male or female, and it's like I, in my own life, feel very like not necessarily I'm not necessarily like set like if it were a meter from male to female it's not like I'm like set at a certain point halfway or one third here two thirds there it's more of like I know that I'm compelled to feel and do these things that other people say are feminine or of that sort and sometimes I feel like I want to do and present more masculine and so non-binary for me is um a way to get out of that mindset of like, oh, I'm male and so I have to do these things or look a certain way or uh, all of those social things that come with being a male um, and likewise with being female because I don't just feel one or the other. You know, it's like I am like a slushy mix of the two, you know? It's not really stagnant, nor is it just one or the other. How did you um, learn all of this? Um, Was this all based off of conversations you made with friends such as Ezra and Marshall or um, did you have other resources such as the internet because one of the biggest issues that face uh, that people that identify like this um, one of the biggest issues they can run into is a lack of resources not everybody has the internet um, right. some people grow up in you know small towns there, there's so many of them across Michigan where oh, you can just yeah. feel alone and you're just you know mm-hmm. battling this in your head mm-hmm. um, what resources did you have to sort of learn more about this and learn more about yourself? Um, I most certainly used the internet a lot initially, uh, especially before I had met the twins and had met more of uh, the friends I have now who identify as various different things and have been able to teach me the things I know along the way. Um, but like you said, like growing up, like in not it doesn't even take being in a rural area, just being anywhere that's not super uh, or like super open about gender, sexuality, and deviating from that norm can make it really hard to explore a lot. And so that's, I like to think, well, not like to think, but I think that um, the reason I didn't discover all these things about myself sooner, because they were all things I had known and been like thinking about and dealing with my whole life. But like up until I had met the twins and had been able to have conversations about it and being more open and just expressing myself and not caring what other people think, Um, The internet helped, but, like, it's not, I don't think it's enough a lot of time. Like, it really does take someone else sitting there being with you and being like, hey, like, this is okay. You can do what you want to do, and you're not going to, like, burst into flames over it. Well, I feel like, like, um, also the thing with becoming friends with me and Marshall, who, who identify that way, like, I feel like, it's funny because you get, like, two people, like, on each side of you. Yes, it's okay. It's twice as much validation because there's two people telling mm-hmm. you. Like, or, like, saying that, like, they feel a similar way or whatever it is. Or, like, they're just like, yeah, it's okay that you feel that way. But there's two of us, and we both feel the same way. So mm-hmm. I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like that's kind of weird also because you're a Gemini. And <laughs> one more point I want to add is, like, because before I met you guys, I did, uh, and you guys being the twins, um, I did um, have friends who were... Uh, non-binary or other sexualities etc but like we were all kind of afraid to talk about it super openly and so it's like 
it's one thing to have friends who are these other things and you can learn from, but it's like, it's really important to have friends that are like, or somebody that is like open, open about it and like not afraid to have the conversation. Yeah. Because I did have that point in my life where like I had the friends who I could have learned more from at the time, um, but we were all kind of like really, it was really new to all of us. And so we were all afraid to deviate super far. I want to talk about intersectionality mm -hmm. because obviously you're black. Right. You know, and that yes, can, yes. that's a whole nother layer of, um, you know, disrespect and mm -hmm. dismissiveness that people can have towards um, artists of any form, you know, musicians, writers, Absolutely. poets, and, you know, adding that with you identifying as non-binary. Um, can you talk about, you know, the factor that race plays into that as well? Um, so it definitely, me being black definitely has a huge factor in it because, um, I can definitely say that in the black community, uh, there's a lot of internalized homophobia. Um, obviously not with everyone. This is not a blanket statement, but there is, uh, not a large, huge, huge level of acceptance in general there. It's kind of more of like, uh, we're not going to talk about it type thing. Um, and that isn't to say, I mean, plenty of people, black and otherwise, have been very accepting. My mom was very accepting of it, although she did take a few days to process it, or maybe a few months. Um, <laughs> um, but when it comes down to it, I mean, in terms of interaction with other minorities, it's not that different, because on a base level, like, a minority will understand what it's like for another minority, and there's that kind of general level of respect, like, okay, like, you're not black but like i'm mexican and you're black and like we kind of get that we're both disrespected by white people right and so being non-binary it's not like a huge hurdle most of the time um however in the music industry uh it does get a little weird um being black and non-binary um from oh my god from everything from like tiny things like uh people just assuming that I'm a rap artist and kind of dismissing me before they even given me a chance, which if you've heard my music, it is, uh, I mean, I'm singing a little faster these days, but it's not rap. It's a little disrespectful to me to call it rap because I love rap so much. And that was a segment from my interview with Bilal Beza. You can read the full story in City Pulse's forthcoming Pride issue, and you can check out Bilal's music by looking up Crawl Spaces or Brillo on Facebook. Thanks, Skylar. You'll be able to read a full profile of Beza by Skylar Ashley in City Pulse's uh, Gay Pride issue, which will be out Wednesday. And if you receive our newsletter, it'll be waiting for you in your inbox by dawn on Wednesday. You're listening to City Pulse on the air here on 89FM The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. MSU political scientist Matt Grossman weighed in last week in a USA Today article on accusations from both President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden at the other's intent on stealing the election in November. As I do weekly, I spoke to Professor Grossman about that and other issues in the 2020 presidential campaign. Matt, what's uh, on your mind, politically speaking, this morning? Well, we're seeing uh, gains uh, by Joe Biden across the swing states. And surprising to me is that Republicans also appear to be doing poorly in U.S. Senate elections. And none of the 
Republican Senate candidates appear to be able to distinguish themselves with from Donald Trump. So it looks increasingly like if Trump goes down, then he will take uh, the Republican Senate with him. Yeah, well, let's start with the swing states. What states are you referring to? Well, uh, the polling averages that have recently come out show uh, Biden winning uh, in pretty much all of the, the swing states, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, as well as uh, even in Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, uh, even a couple polls in Georgia. Uh, it still looks like roughly the same order of swing states, except that Michigan has been the one state that has sort of moved to the Democratic side of the national popular vote, whereas Pennsylvania and Wisconsin still appear to be a little bit to the Republican side of the national vote. Uh, and uh, still seems like Florida and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin are the, the most likely tipping point states. But if the election were held today, uh, it would be sort of a clean sweep by Biden. Well, let's start at home. Uh, any thoughts on uh, why Michigan is so dramatically different today than it was in 2016? Well, uh, of course, Hillary Clinton was looking good at the beginning uh, in Michigan as well, and so we we never want to completely count out a comeback, uh, and it could be that uh, Michigan uh, just sort of consolidates the Democratic vote uh, earlier than some of those uh, other states, um, but that certainly appears to be happening. Um, another trend this year that was surprising that we've talked about is that uh, Joe Biden is doing better among older voters, substantially better than Hillary Clinton did, and Michigan's an older state. Uh, he's also improved his performance among people with lower education levels or with not without people without a college degree, and uh, Michigan also um, has a high level of uh, voters without a college degree. So uh, those improvements nationally are showing up more in Michigan. And we do have a Senate uh, race in Michigan, uh, uh, although I haven't seen much of the uh, likely Republican candidate, John James, but uh, uh, but uh, he ran a surprisingly close race to Debbie Stabenow two years ago. Uh, any thoughts of an upset in Michigan? Well, I wouldn't have been surprised uh, if you had suggested that earlier, but that's that's been one of the strange things this cycle is that the Republican candidates just don't seem to be able to distinguish themselves from Trump, even though you would think that uh, John James should be running uh, well ahead of, of Trump um, with some voters who don't like Trump being okay with James, but that doesn't seem to be the case so far. And we're seeing similar trends in places like Arizona and North Carolina, where the Republicans uh, need, and yet their Senate candidates are running behind Trump. What about uh, doing some math for us, as it were, on uh, the Senate and uh, what it's going to take to upset uh, Republican control? Well, uh, Democrats need uh, quite a few uh, seats, um, and but they also have quite a few opportunities, uh, and it, it really looks like uh, they are more likely to, to make that sweep now than it looked like um, at the beginning of the year. There's some research on 2018 that I've been reading um, that showed that Republicans are really better off without without Trump. Uh, Trump endorsements actually led to 
uh, lower vote share uh, for Republican candidates for the House and Senate. Uh, Republicans who voted for the Obamacare repeal effort um, lost vote share compared to those who didn't. So, and that's not a new trend that you should try to distinguish yourself from your national party, especially if it's losing uh, ground. Um, but it's it's still a message that Republican uh, Senate candidates don't seem to be heeding. They're they're staying uh, close to Trump despite the risks. Uh, we're talking to uh, political scientist Matt Grossman from Michigan State University. You're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. Uh, Matt, the uh, president is trying very hard to paint himself as a law and order candidate. Uh, uh, do you think uh, in the current climate uh, post-George uh, Floyd uh, that that's an issue he could take to the bank? Well, it doesn't seem to be working so far. Uh, instead, it seems that uh, the Floyd protests are another reason that uh, voters are uh, souring on, on Trump. Um, the one reason is that the protests have had less uh, property damage and more uh, mass support uh, lately. Another is that the media coverage has been much more positive about uh, Black Lives Matter uh, than uh, it had been in the previous cycle when it was uh, tied to police killings, um, and so there, you know, there's been a much, um, a much more, more uh, difficult uh, path for for Trump to uh, make gains uh, with with that issue. Uh, and we also have to consider Biden's message, which has from the beginning um, been what what many people considered bland initially, where he was talking about Charlottesville and racial division that Trump, that Trump was sowing and sort of just showing that he would be more of a unity candidate. And it didn't seem like it was, um, you know, catching a lot of motivation um, in the primaries, but it, it really may be um, the message for this moment that uh, that people want to hear, that uh, Trump sows division, and that means that you can both blame the, the problems that the protesters are uh, are highlighting as well as the, the protests themselves um, on on Trump, and that appears to be what Biden is doing successfully so far. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, has, uh, I guess, taken herself out of the running uh, for to be Biden's vice presidential uh, uh, candidate, uh, and encouraged him to select a black woman. Uh, you, we've talked about uh, the importance or the lack of importance of who's on the ticket with the presidential candidate before, but is is this year somehow different? Uh, it, not just uh, because of the race uh, ten racial tension, but also because Biden is uh, a 78 year old white man. Well, I think uh, his age will increase the attention on the vice presidential uh, selection. Um, the evidence that we have, which is just from the, the two previous uh, women nominees, does not show that uh, selecting a women nominee made a difference for the voters uh, or for women uh, support uh, for the nominees. Um, but uh, we, you know, have not experienced um, uh, a black woman uh, a vice presidential nominee, so we can't say for sure that it wouldn't have any motivational uh, impact um, compared to previous elections. Uh, Klobuchar uh, making that statement is probably a sign that she was already uh, sort of out of the running and that uh, the selection was moving in 
in the direction that she suggested, um, that that would be my guess. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, interesting issues that you have commented on uh, in a USA Today article is that both Biden and Trump are accusing the other of planning to seal the election. Uh, what are your thoughts about this uh, fear that one or the other will indeed steal it? Well, the, the sort of unfortunate context is, you know, obviously whenever we have a close election, uh, there's more of those concerns. Uh, whenever we have the candidates themselves previewing and egging on those concerns, that means that there's more likely to be feelings afterwards uh, of unfairness. And then the increased difficulty this year is that we're going to have a whole lot of states that don't report full election results until days after the election. Um, and some of those are going to show pretty dramatic changes. If you if you look at California results, for example, which consistently come in sort of two weeks late. Um, in 2018, we saw, uh, you know, fairly dramatic shifts in the vote totals. And that kind of thing, you know, is likely to raise concerns that something strange went on. Um, it's not because something strange went on. It's just because People who vote later are in different formats, um, are often are different demographically and politically. Uh, but uh, that's all going to mean that we, we may not, if it's a close election, we may not know who won on election night. And that will raise more concerns that something nefarious went on, even if it's a normal election process. And, and that is because they've got to count uh, absentee ballots. And in some places, that could be the majority of the votes. Is that uh... Is that the crux of it? Yeah, and of course, you know, there are some states like Michigan where we have rules against counting early, and then we have other states where your ballot doesn't have to be um, sent until Election Day, and so, you know, then it can arrive uh, weeks after that. Yeah. Well, Matt Grossman from Michigan State University, thank you, as always, for being on City Pulse. Thank you. Matt Grossman will be back with us next week. This is City Pulse here on WDBM 88.9 FM. Thank you all for listening, and please join us again next week. Enjoy Father's Day for City Pulse. I'm Burl Schwartz.